We are going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 11. I'll start reading at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to focus today on verses 28, 29, and 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the neighborhood where I live, tomorrow is a big day, because tomorrow is brush day. Brush pickup day. That day where everyone can get rid of all that dead stuff in their yard. That day where they say you can only put so much out there, and I mean people put five times as much of, as, the, as the guidelines say. But you walk around there, all these piles of brush there. So they've gotten there because people have had to go out and cut things and, and, and reduce them down in size and get them out there. Well, last summer was not kind to probably half the trees in our backyard, and they are now dead. So we need to get rid of them. So my wife and I spent yesterday afternoon out there getting rid of half of them yesterday. And when we got done, we were tired, believe it or not. <laughs> that, uh, that, that running the, the tools of destruction out in the backyard can get you weary, and they got us weary. And, you know, we do things that, that do make us tired, that physical labor makes us tired. I mean, I don't have a job right now where I labor very much in my job. I mean, the, the, the heaviest thing I pick up in my job sitting at a desk is the water bottle I have at work, okay? It's not exactly labor, but there were days when I did, working at the golf course in Alpena, Michigan, digging up sprinkler leaks with a spade, and uh, working at the cement plant in Alpena, Michigan two summers, shoveling cement dust and shoveling rocks and working around kilns that were over 120 degrees, and... They'd let you go inside some of the kilns and clean them out. They wouldn't let you stay in there more than 15 minutes because it was so toxic in there. There, there were days when I did a lot of physical labor as part of my job. But we still have, you know, people do physical labor now, and you understand what it's like to be physically tired. You do. Everybody does. Certain things make people more tired than others, whether it's work or whether it's exercise. People go to the gym for the purpose of making themselves tired in order to make themselves more healthy. That's not the kind of weariness and the labor that Jesus is talking about here. But we understand the concept. When he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Labor is labor. Work is work. Weariness is weariness. Whether your weariness is physical weariness or whether or not your soul is weary. Because we know from our lives that physical weariness can lead to weariness of the soul. And weariness of the soul can manifest itself in us feeling physically weak and physically weary. So weariness is, is a reality in our lives in one form or another. And that's where Jesus is going here in this passage. He's going here to spiritual. He's going to weariness of the soul. 
And the immediate context here is evangelistic. But we're going to have application here for God's people as well. But what's our context here? This, like all of Scripture, is not written in a vacuum. It's not an island unto itself. It's here for a reason and is relating to other passages in Scripture. And other passages in Scripture are going to give us background as to why Jesus says what He says here. What has He done here? He's just pronounced some woes. He's just pronounced woes to a couple cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Why? Because they had mighty works done in them. They had had truth revealed to them. Jesus is going to call them these things in His prayer in this passage. And He pronounces woes on those cities because He said, if the mighty works done in you, you two cities, personifying the two cities, if they had been done in Tyre and Sidon, what would Tyre and Sidon have done? They would have repented. But, Jesus says, those works were not done in Chorazin and Bethsaida. Why? Well, we'll get there when he prays, starting in verse 25. But he also talks about Capernaum here. He says in, in verse 23, you're going to be brought down to Hades. If the mighty works done and you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until that, this day. But I tell you, that will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Think about that. Think about the judgment that fell on Sodom back in Genesis. Think about what happened when Lot's wife turned and looked back. Think about how the city was, was destroyed and it served as a symbol, an example of judgment from that point on, from Genesis on to this day. Even people who aren't Christians know the image of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, it's going to be worse for you, Capernaum, than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because they've had light. The more light people have, the more light cities have, the more light groups have, the more wrath that is built up when they don't respond to the light. That's what happened here. Cities, people, had been given light and they didn't respond. And Jesus says consequences are going to be severe because you've had more than somebody else. Then He prays, verse 25. Well, why were the mighty works done here but not over here? He says why. Look what He says. I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was Your gracious will. Is that the way you think about the Father? Do you think the Father has the capacity to hide saving truth from people? Well, you better because the passage says He does. Well, why would He not reveal it to certain people or certain cities? You think about it. Paul wanted to go evangelize over here. And what did the Spirit say? No. You're not going that way. You're going to go this way. Do you think people perished over here where Paul didn't go? Yes. Why? Because it was God's will that Paul not go here. It was Paul's will that he go this way. It's the same thing here. And Jesus thanks His Father for doing this. Then He says, everything's been handed over to Me by My Father. Everything. All things, He says. And no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. 
Now, that's not an absolute statement because we know John 17, for instance, tells us what eternal life is. To know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. But this is about a certain type of knowledge. There's an, there's an intimacy and a comprehensive knowledge of Father by the Son and of Son by the Father. And he says, everything that you have has been handed to me. No one knows the Father except the Son and. You're, you're, you're and there. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Remember, Jesus says, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Then we get to the invitation. Come to Me. Come to Me who? Come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden. All. Does Jesus say all except? All except those who've done this. I'm not letting you guys come. No. Does He say all except this or all except that? He's telling this in this setting where He's been speaking. He's got people here. They're probably people maybe as close as Abraham is to me. Well, in one sense, Abraham has already come to me in proximity. But Abraham has not come to me in faith. Jesus wants those within the sound of His voice who have come to hear Him, not just come to hear Him, but to come to Him and take His yoke. And we'll get there. So He's telling people who've already come in one sense to come to Him. What does He mean? He wants people to believe. Coming is synonymous with believing here. And nothing has yet changed. We come to Him by faith today in 2023 just like people 2,000 years ago came to Him by faith. And He issues this invitation. It's not an imperative. It's an invitation. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Do you think the wise and understanding would, would admit that they labor and are heavy laden? Well, we don't have the, the immediate context of what He means by being being one who labors or one who is weary and heavy laden. We'll get there in a minute from another passage in Matthew. But he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We know that when we talk to lost people, do they understand that they labor and that they're weary and that their soul has a problem? Usually not. But even sometimes when they do, they don't like the medicine that we give them for their sickness. Because they will say things like, well, I don't like that way. Well, how come there's only one way? Well, all, all, all you have to do is, <laughs> is be thankful that there is one way. <laughs> and there is one way. And it's open to everybody. All you have to do is acknowledge the state of your soul. And then take the medicine. What's the medicine? Jesus is the medicine. The medicine's standing right in front of these people. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now sometimes you will run into people who, who will acknowledge that they labor, that they're weary, that their soul is weary, deep down inside. They may outwardly appear like everything is going well, they've got everything together, but you will encounter people who, who will acknowledge there's a problem with their soul. This would happen more than once inside the prisons, and I can remember one as clear as day. I'm standing outside the pavilion 
I'm with a guy. It's Thursday night. We're just getting to know each other. And he's telling me this. He says, I'm tired. What are you tired of? He says, he says I've tried everything. I've, tr- I'm, I'm, I've been trying to find peace, peace, peace for my soul. He says, he says I've, tried, I, I've tried Buddhism. Okay. I tried joining the gangs. Get this. This is the deception. Peace for your soul by joining the gangs. But he was desperate. He's looking for peace. Okay, the gangs present something to him. They present him an offer. You come to me, you come to us, everything's going to be okay. Well, he went to the gangs, it wasn't okay. He tried Buddhism, he tried the gangs, he tried the nation of Islam. He says, he says Jeff, I've tried everything. He said, none of it's worked. None of it's worked. And he, said, he said, I am just tired. I'm tired of the nonsense. And think about that. A lot of people are tired of the nonsense. But when you give them the solution for the weariness and the nonsense, how do they respond? This guy was tired of the nonsense and he tried everything else. A lot of people have tried a lot of things. But the thing is, Jesus doesn't tell you to try Him. He tells you to come to Him. He tells you to come to Him in faith. He tells you to come and and submit to Him as Lord. See, that's the stumbling block for a lot of people. A lot of people don't have a problem with maybe believing, but I gotta still submit. I've still got to submit. I, I'm, I, I'm, I would not be sovereign over my own life. I still have accountability to something or someone. Yeah, you do. But would Jesus? How, how would Scripture say that though? His commandments are not burdensome. First John five. So people will do that. Where were these people at here? I don't know. How many people were wise and understanding that were were being talked to by Jesus at this point? I don't know. How many of them were little children? Aren't we little children? Childlike faith? Coming to Him, trusting Him like that six-year-old who trusts mom and dad? Doesn't know why. He doesn't think about it. He just trusts mom and dad. It's inherent. It's simple. It's easy. He doesn't overanalyze everything. Jesus wants people to just come to Him because, as we see in the passage, He can relieve their burden. Now, Jesus doesn't say that there's no longer any burden. He doesn't say that there's no longer any yoke, does He? He says, take my yoke and my burden is easy. My burden is light. And what's the consequence of taking Christ's yoke? We'll get to what a yoke is. What is the consequence? What is the result? Jesus gives rest. When you're tired, I don't care what kind of tired it is, whether it's weariness of your soul or weariness of your body, What are you looking for in one form or another? You're looking for rest. Even even people who are uber fit, okay? The CrossFitters in this room, okay? You know, the super jocks like Nellie, 
all right? Um, you know, people, pe people have this, this thing where they can go out and get really, really weary and they're in really, really good shape. And then they get deal with their weariness. But what about the weariness of their soul? Maybe they are very fit outwardly, but inwardly their soul is sick. Jesus is addressing fitness of your soul here. Weariness of your soul. But let's look at, let's think about why would he, why would he be talking to these people about people who labor and are heavy laden? Our context here is going to be Matthew 23. So if you could turn to Matthew 23, we'll look at that. Jesus is going to speak to crowds and to his disciples. Matthew 23, verse 1, Then the Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. This is what our context is here. When, when Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, you labor and you are heavy laden, or if your translation says you are weary and are heavy laden, or are weary and burdened, you labor and are heavy laden, these people were so because the Pharisees and the scribes had put heavy burdens hard to bear and imposed them on people's shoulders. They didn't pick up the yoke. Somebody else put it there. These guys made it so hard. You think about what you've seen about in other parts of the world, Nepal, other parts of the world, where the women bear the load. Okay, They've got it either piled up on their head or it's piled up on their back or they're back in their head. And over time, what happens when people do that? They eventually become hunched over because time takes its toll on the human body. And they become weary but they still have the responsibility. That's what's going on here. These people had been made weary by that which was imposed upon them by the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus says, come to Me and I'll replace that yoke that has been imposed upon you by giving you a yoke and I want you to pick it up and put it on. Take it, He says. Verse 29, Take my yoke. That's your imperative here in the passage. Take my yoke. That the image is of a wooden beam that you would typically place between two beasts of burden so that they would work together. And then they could bear the load of whatever they were pulling or whatever they were digging up. Jesus says He has a yoke. But what about His yoke? Verse 30. It's easy. His burden is light. Yokes and burdens go like this. You only need a yoke because there's a burden. And the burden necessitates the use of a yoke in order to carry the burden. But Jesus says, you take My yoke and I will give you rest. That's a little bit counterintuitive. Take a yoke 
in order to rest. Well, how can you take a yoke and rest? Because you get rid of that yoke imposed upon you by the scribes and Pharisees of the law which enslaves you, which imprisons you, and Jesus comes and says, I'm going to set you free. Jesus comes and says, Galatians 5.1, you are set free from the yoke of the law. You're set free because you don't bear the burden of the law anymore. Your burden now, which is light and easy, is not the law, it's Jesus. And you embrace Him by faith. This is not a new concept. You, we can go back to the, to the Old Testament, for instance. We can look at Jeremiah 6.16 if you'd like to follow along. You know that Jeremiah is preaching and the people are not really listening very much. And what do we have? We have written here about what thus says the Lord. Jeremiah 6.16 Thus says the Lord, quote, Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. Look at the next sentence. But, they said we will not walk in it. Rest is available and they won't do it. It's right there. They won't do it. Now, whether or not when Jesus comes, this is a prophecy that's fulfilled or this is just pointing to Jesus is another matter. But we know from our New Testaments there is a good way. There is a way. What's the way? It's not something with gravel or asphalt on it. The way is a person. Jesus Christ. And you walk in that way. We walk in in Christ, in union with Christ. Jeremiah says, quoting the Lord, you do that, you have rest for your souls. Nothing has changed, has it? Really, at the end of the day. Psalm 23, think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What comes after that? He what? He maketh me lie down in green pastures. I don't know if you've ever done that. You ever been out in a pasture or in a field where there's long, lush, green grass, not this scattering of weeds you see in a lot of fields. <laughs> but you, you, I know, I know back, back north in, in around where we live, there were patches in the fields of green, why is there this little eight by eight area of long green grass? I don't know, but there was. And you know what? You go out there in the morning and you see it, and it's always matted down. Why? Because the deer like the finer things too. The deer like lying down in that green grass. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. What comes after that? Because there's more. <laughs> James, you preached on Psalm 23. Okay, he leadeth me beside still waters. 
This word that gets translated as rest in Matthew 11 also can be translated and has the meaning of being refreshed. We all live in a place where it gets pretty hot in the summertime. I understand refreshment more than I did living up north. There's a different category for hot here than in northern Michigan. Jesus provides refreshment for your soul as He's providing rest for your soul. And you can also, that word also has the meaning of relax. Think about this. Is your soul at relaxation? Is your soul at rest? When you are resting physically, you're resting rightly when you're physically, are you relaxed? Yes. You're not tense. You're not uptight. Jesus provides relaxation, refreshment, rest for your soul. And if you don't have it, Christian, why not? We'll get, we'll get there in a minute because there are some who don't. But to get back to, uh, to our passage in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus tells these people, take my yoke, pick it up. It's an easy yoke. You can, you can bear it. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He also says, learn from me. And learn from me for... The learning is based upon who He is and His character. He says He's gentle and lowly. Do you think the guys in Matthew 23 who were laying the burden upon the people were gentle and lowly? Everything we have that Jesus says about them says no. But just turn back to Matthew chapter 23 because this does address the issue of humility here. He says in Matthew 23 verse 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's go back to last week's message, Philippians 2. Did Jesus humble himself? Yes. Took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And what was the consequence of Jesus humbling himself? Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at his name, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Learn from the most humble man who ever walked the face of the earth. He's gentle. Scribes and Pharisees were not gentle. He's lowly. He humbles himself. He washes disciples' feet. Do you think a king would do that? Do you see a Herod doing that? Do you see a governor like a Pilate doing that? Do you see the king of Assyria washing his servants' feet? Jesus says, learn from me. Because of who He is. Because of His character. Because of the example He gave us. Because you will then find rest for your soul by learning from this King who is gentle and lowly. But He came. He came here to release people from bondage, did He not? Don't, don't we have the passage in John that says, when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed? I, I, I like the fact that the Lord had the Spirit put indeed after that because there's an emphasis on it. 
When the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free from the yoke of the law. And he says that in Galatians 5.1 in the context of following up on the allegory between Sarah and Hagar. You're not a child of the slave woman. You're a child of the free woman. But, do you believe it? Do, 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 do you believe this? That, that, that when we sing a song, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. Are we singing it or are we living it? I hope we're doing both. We better be doing both. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy. You notice the song does not say, in the joy of what You did. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what You are. But the last stanza of that hymn, here we go. Ever lift thy face upon me as I work and wait for thee. Resting neath thy smile, Lord Jesus, earth's dark shadows flee. Brightness of my Father's glory, sunshine of my Father's face. Keep me ever trusting, resting. Fill me with thy grace. Keep me ever trusting, resting. Rest is not something that we did once. Rest is something that we received and rest is something that we continue in our lives. It's present tense. It's not merely past tense. Did we receive rest upon the time that we were saved? Yes. But do we have to live in that rest? Do we have to believe in the rest? Do we have to trust Jesus? Do we have to not be anxious about things? Do we have to not be in the conflict of our souls? Yes. But it's all about faith, isn't it? Do we believe enough to rest in Christ? Do we believe enough to rest no matter what's happening? Do you believe enough that when you put your head on your pillow tonight, you are resting in Christ and you can sleep with a clear conscience because you know that you are in His hands. You are in the hands of the Son, in the hands of the Father, and He's not going to take you and toss you into the garbage can. He's going to keep you here. Should that not provide rest for your soul? That's what Jesus is presenting to people here in an evangelistic context in these three verses. But we have present application in our lives here. Jesus, I am resting, resting. Present tense in the joy of what Thou art. Keep me ever trusting, resting. Fill me with Thy grace. Do we need to ask for help in order to keep on embracing the rest which He has given us as a gift? Yes. Just like everything else, we have to ask for everything that He wants us to have and He wants us to do. It's not a bad thing to pray, Jesus, help me rest. Because people in this room are not resting well now. For whatever reason, you, know, you, can, you can come up with a gazillion reasons why, why, why you or somebody else is not resting. But think about what that image of rest means. It's a rest for your soul where your soul is at peace, your soul is refreshed, your soul is relaxed. It doesn't say anything about your environment or your circumstances. 
He doesn't say anything about whether you're doing well, whether things are going poorly, whether your health is good, whether your health is bad, whether you have money to pay your bills or don't. But is not the rest that Jesus Christ provides to you by faith in Him sufficient to help you deal with your life? Whatever your life looks like in whatever season of your life that you are in right now. Yes, it is. But you've got to embrace it. You've got to receive it. You've got to believe that it's yours. It's another one of those things where it's easy to believe that, oh, so-and-so's got rest. I don't have it. Well, why don't I have it? Well, maybe there's something you ought to repent of. <laughs> it's funny how sin affects your rest. Where are you seeking your rest? Are you seeking your rest in people? In your spouse? In your mom? Your dad? Your brother? Your sister? Your job? Your financial situation? You seeking your rest in preachers? You seeking your rest in, in you know, name whatever you want to name. If it's not Christ, you're looking for rest in all the wrong places are you trying to find rest by substituting something else for the entirety of jesus giving you rest you know is it is it a substance is it a person is it is it that picture on your phone or the stuff you're looking at on your phone is it this that or the other thing what has replaced jesus as the fullness of your rest that's why you don't have rest Don't you want rest? I know the rhetorical question is answered by, of course I want rest. But are we willing to trust Christ enough to have the rest? Do you think that Jesus wants you to be tormented in your soul? Do you see that as the life of the Christian? You don't see that as the life of the Christian. I mean, when, when Paul says at the end of his life, he knows that the Lord is going to rescue him from every evil deed and deliver him safely into his heavenly kingdom. 2 Timothy 4.18 You think Paul's soul was at rest even as he's just written about the guys who've deserted him? Yes, it was. Paul was still resting. And he was resting well. How about us? Are we resting well? What's, what's getting in the way of our rest? I think Jesus wants us to be at rest. Now, rest does not eliminate work. I know this is a little bit of a paradox here. Paul says, I worked what? I worked harder than a couple people? No. <laughs> Paul made the point that he worked harder than everybody else. But he worked harder than everybody else in light of his having rest in Christ. He wanted these Corinthians that he's rebuking to find their rest in Christ. He didn't want them to find their rest in him or in Apollos or somebody else. He wanted the Corinthians to find their rest in Christ. He didn't want the Corinthians who were, who were suing each other to find their rest in the legal system. He didn't want the Corinthians who were sleeping with prostitutes to find their rest in those women. He wanted these Corinthians to find their rest in him and him alone. Remember, Jesus doesn't share His authority with anybody else. He doesn't share His kingship with anybody else. He doesn't share His lordship with anybody else. We ought to be awful careful about putting something in, even if it's 
56 one-hundredths of 1%, to use the ivory snow illustration that probably my wife, the Boyntons, and Mr. Haney know from 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent pure back in the day. You can't go to that 56 one-hundredths of 1% of Jesus' Lordship and replace it with something else. You say, I'm not. Be careful. Children. We can put children in a place where they shouldn't be. Whether you have them or not. What, what place do children have in your life? Are your children, maybe they're not idols, but they're this far away from being idols. Or the desire to have children, if you don't have children. Is that maybe not an idol, but it's this close? And I'll tell you, the problem comes around is you don't know when you cross the line. But what might be replacing Jesus Christ as your rest? If you're replacing Him with anything or anyone else as the source of your rest and your comfort, your refreshment, your relaxation, there's going to be a problem and your soul will be not where it should be. I mean, I'm, I'm old. I want to get rid of all the nonsense in my life. Sim I, you've heard me. I've preached on the simplicity of the Christian life. It is simple. We make it hard. We make so many things hard. We make the Bible harder than it should be. Okay, we make eschatology harder than it should be. We make marriage harder than it should be. We make raising children harder than it should be. It shouldn't be hard. <laughs> Your Bible has equipped you to do whatever you need. 2 Timothy 3 is still true. Scripture is sufficient to equip you for every good work. Not merely the man of God. But the man of God, yes. But the man of God and all of you all and me in this old building in San Antonio. That Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is enough. When we drink the living water, are we satisfied with the living water? Okay, or do you need to go get some smart water and supplement it? You, know, you better not go run and get the smart water. Okay, Jesus is the bread of life. What are we feeding our soul with? Are we feeding our soul with Jesus as the bread of life? Or you need that barbecue from somewhere? Jesus doesn't want us to supplement Him with anything or anyone else. Jesus says, you will have rest. You will find rest for your souls. You will find rest if you do what the song says. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Again, sing it, live it. Ought to be both, shouldn't it? Are we standing on Christ as the solid rock in our lives? What about... What about I know that this, this can cause an issue in our lives as we're trying to find rest. What about doubt? Now, I'm going to throw a generation under the bus here again. Okay, And if you just turned 40 yesterday, thank the Lord, everybody under 40, you see, too often. <laughs> I see too often. Am I overgeneralizing? Yes, but overgeneralizing and a little hyperbolic here to make a point. 
Too many people under 40 think that doubt in the Christian life is healthy. It is not. I mean, several years ago, back when I had Facebook, it's probably five, six years ago at least, maybe more, I was watching this thread that people from this church were on. Youngins were on. And there were some people from some other churches in San Antonio on there. And they got talking about doubt. And they were talking about how doubt is a good thing. Doubt, doubt does this and doubt helps you in this way. And I could only stand it for so long. And I finally just posed a question. I said, whenever Jesus encounters doubt, what did He say? Whenever Scripture encounters doubt, what does it say? Does it endorse it? Never. Jesus rebukes doubt. Because you can try and say that, well, doubt and unbelief are really two distinct issues, but I don't think you can separate them even if they are distinct. O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Is what Jesus says. James calls people who doubt when they pray double-minded and unstable. Don't fall for it. Don't let that postmodern mindset that says you've got to question everything as an imperative. Well, I'll even, okay, this is Proverbs 26, answering the fool according to his folly. If you say we must question everything, then I'm going to question your statement that we must question everything. A self-refuting statement. It's nonsense. But don't fall for it. Don't let them think, well, well, Job doubted. I would maintain Job never doubted God. He, answered, he was asking all those questions in faith of who God was. He knew who God was. Job didn't doubt the Word of God. What got us into this mess in the first place? Satan coming into the garden and going up to the woman and saying, did God really say? Doubt is why we're here today in this setting and not in what it was supposed to be like in man having dominion and filling the earth. Don't doubt. Now, I know doubt may come, but rebuke it. Repent of your doubt. If you don't know the answer, say, I don't know, but say it in faith. Don't doubt what Scripture says. Don't doubt what Jesus says. Don't doubt that He says, you will find rest for your souls. Don't doubt that that can be a reality in your life. Don't stand there and think that, oh, well, everybody else can have doubt, but it's different for me. No, it's not. You can have rest for your souls. Jesus wants His people to have rest. He came to give you rest. He didn't came to give you, come to give you rest and doubt. He came to give you rest, relaxation, refreshment for your soul. Even as your soul is having to deal with all the stuff of your life, again, whatever your life looks like. I don't know how crazy your life is. And there were times when Jesus' life was a little bit crazy. Okay. Apostles had a little, a little bit with craziness in their lives, too. But what does Jesus want us to do? Jesus wants us to rest in Him by faith, knowing that He, he loves us. He does what He does in His creation for the betterment of our souls. 
Yes, he does work all things for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. That passage does not say that all things are good. It says all things are worked for good. Yes, evil does exist in, in this realm, in this realm out here that has a world who is a small g God of 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. But our Savior, Jesus Christ, wants us to rest. It's not a bad thing to rest, even as you work. Even as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, you're supposed to be resting at the same time. And yes, you can do both. Scripture wants you to do both. Scripture wants you to, to find the comfort of Psalm 23, even as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't you, and and when, when you share the gospel with people, don't you want people to have that same rest that Jesus talks about? The ideal here? Jesus says He came to give it. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will. It's one of those I will statements. When Jesus says, or God says, I will, will that happen? Yes. You know what? People keep saying, I know that, but. Don't say but. <laughs> Jesus says, I will. Receive. receive. It, it, it sounds so simple. Come to me. Yeah, it is simple. Remain in me. Yeah, it is simple. And you have rest for your souls. Brethren, we all want at the end of the day, rest for our souls. Jesus has provided it. Let's believe it, let's embrace it, and let's rejoice in the rest that our Savior has given us. Let's pray. Father, Father, I don't know that we really know the degree of the rest that we have. Because You've not only given us rest in this age, You've given us rest in the age to come. Father, as we look forward to the rest of the age to come, we need help. We need help in believing. We need help in receiving. We need help in living in light of the rest You've given us in this age. But Father, thank You for sending Your Son to give us rest. In Christ's name, Amen.